Hi friends, it's me. Just wanted to let you know that we started having some connection issues about halfway through this interview, so the audio gets a little weird at certain points. I did my best to fix it as much as possible, and I still think it's a super valuable conversation, so I hope you'll push on through. Thanks, and enjoy. Welcome to the Dildorks, dorky discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and a listener of erotic audios from time to time. Uh, my co-host this week, Bex, is taking a week off. He's doing some stuff for the kink organization that he volunteers for. So instead, I have a lovely guest. Uh, my guest today is a creator of immersive erotic audio recordings and ASMR who I found out about when he performed recently at a body storytelling show, which, by the way, are always so good. Everyone should watch them. And he's currently doing great audio things on Patreon, and he goes by the name The Bearded Scotsman. Hello. Hey there. Get this in chat with you. Yeah. I was wondering, like, right off the top, because I'm always really interested in erotic audio as a medium, um, and I was wondering like how you got into it, like if you were involved in the community before you got into it, cause I know that like, it's a pretty vibrant community. You know, I'm actually a, a recent convert and I kind of got into it completely by accident. <laughs> um, I had never heard of it before. And as someone who has, has always been like a proud kinkster, it shocked me when I found out that <laughs> there was this whole thing I didn't know about. <laughs> and it was through a friend who was like, oh, yeah, I'm super into this. You know, I'm in a marriage where I absolutely love the guy, but he's really vanilla. So for all the kinks that I don't get to indulge in, here's where I go to, to kind of get that itch scratched. And I, I will admit when I initially got into it, it was because someone was like, look, you know, it's COVID. You've been un unemployed most of the year you could make a little bit of spending money doing this. And I was like, well, fuck it, I'll give it a shot. But when I actually started doing the recordings <laughs> and engaging with people, it, it became like, I wouldn't say quite a calling, but it became this thing where I really felt like I can be providing this service to people where it's not just about, mm -hmm. hey, I'm giving them something that is getting them off, but it's like helping them to be able to fulfill fantasies that otherwise they don't have an outlet for. And even just in like an educational mm -hmm. sense, kind of providing, here's an example of what these specific kinky interactions should go like. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I was wondering about like, since you're like a dominant leaning person and like in my experience, dominance and tops are very like fueled by people's reactions. I was wondering what it's like for you to perform in a medium where you can't like see or hear the listeners real-time reactions like it sounds like you enjoy the interactions with people outside of that uh but what what's that like do you have to like recalibrate your approach to dominance to to do that kind of work not necessarily for me a, a lot of it is i spend time interacting with people beforehand mm. and just you know talking to them and saying you know what kind of audios is that you like? What are the aspects of that audio that you find you really engage with that is the really satisfying thing for you? Mm -hmm. What things do you feel are missing out from the audios you've listened to before? And from there, I'm able to do 
pretty much exactly the same I do with any partner that I'm actually with and doming them, which is to sit down and say, okay, what's their fantasy world? And, you know, to use a term from D&D, what kind of world building do I need to do to make that happen? And mm-hmm. so I might not have someone there like giving me the reaction to fuel me right at that moment, but I've had that experience beforehand of what things do I know these people are particularly looking for and lacking in what they're currently getting and how can I provide that? Mm-hmm. Wow, I love that. That's such a service-oriented approach. Um, and I was listening to one of your recent audios on Patreon And uh, the word immersive that you use like really describes it well because it was about an hour long and it was um, like a whole procession from like a like a date type conversation and like a negotiation and then the sexy stuff, which I as like a demisexual person who like takes a while to warm up to people found very um, like in line with what I want from erotic audios which I feel like it is often not the case like it makes sense why some people really want short ones because they're you know that maybe they only have a short amount of time to to listen to it um but I really enjoyed that so I was wondering um mm-hmm. if you could say a little more about like what does it mean to you that your audios are immersive and and how do you achieve that well I think a large part of it again comes from my aim that they're gonna be in some sense educational because one of the things I've learned since I've really started sitting down and talking with a lot of the people who are listening to these audios is that so many of the people engaging with this, they've never actually met someone with whom they could engage in any sort of DS play. And hmm. so they're basically left with, well, what is being produced? What can I listen to? And unfortunately, like with most other things, as soon as people realize you can monetize it, there are people that are going to come in and they're not thinking about the community involvement. What they're thinking about is what can I pump out there as fast as possible, as quick as possible. And you kind of get that 50 shades of gray effect where you suddenly have a bunch of people putting out things that aren't discussing safety, that aren't discussing how to build trust beforehand, that aren't even vaguely interested in the idea of aftercare, let alone building the kind of safety steps beforehand that anyone should be having before you get into an experience like that. And I've always kind of felt like, you always hear people complaining about, oh, well, I don't like doing the scene negotiation. I don't like, you know, having a a hour-long conversation about what my kinks are and what my red lines are and should I have a safe word. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, those things are there for a reason. And I've always been a proponent of, it's not just the sub that needs a safe word. The dom needs one as well, because sometimes the dom's the one that gets triggered and they're like, sorry, I just, I can't do this right now. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. And I think Fifty Shades is an interesting comparison because like when I talk to people who make like fictional erotic media, I often like to ask them about their thoughts on the ethics of consent in that media because, you know, there's a certain school of thought that like as long as it's understood that the situation you're presenting is a fantasy, it's okay if it's not like explicitly consensual um, because people who are listening to it or mm. watching it or reading it know what they're getting into. But I think that Fifty Shades makes a pretty good argument for the fact that like you can think that all you want, but there are still going to be people who are going to come to that media not understanding all of that stuff. Um And I'm kind of leaning harder on the side that you're on lately, which is like consent should be a little more 
explicit. I mean, there's obviously still a place for like, you know, consensual non-consent fantasies and stuff, but I think that that consent piece is mm-hmm. missing a lot of the time and I think that you do it really well. Well, thank you for that. It's definitely something I really try and work on. And I mean, I will admit, I am absolutely one of those people. I have outrageous non-consent fantasies. But even just thinking about doing that in an actual real-life situation, it terrifies me. Like, the idea of actually hurting someone like that horrifies me. Yeah. And that's kind of what drives me on the idea of, like, everyone talks about consent is sexy, it's not just consent is sexy. Consent is mandatory. But there are ways yeah. to make it sexy so that it doesn't feel like you're sitting down and writing out a contract at the bank beforehand. You know, one of the things that really yeah, kind absolutely. of spurred me towards focusing on that is, have you um, have you heard the term Tumblr doms? There's um, Yeah, I'm so sure. I think it's a Facebook group. Um, and just the name of the Facebook group is Sounds Like You're a Tumblr Dom. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the posts on there are so horrifying because it's all of these guys that, you know, they, they're they really into this idea of I'm the alpha male and I just get to take whatever I want and you're here to serve me. Yeah. And they have no concept of what a dom-sub dynamic actually is like when it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And I I tend to think about it as... You might be the dom and you might be the one that's all big and strong and taking control. But when it comes down to it, what you're doing is an act of service for your sub. And you're spending mm-hmm. time planning beforehand. What can I do that I know they're going to find pleasure in? What can I do that's going to just hit all of those buttons for them so that they have an amazing experience? And yeah, I might get off in the end too. But that entire scene is built around all the things that are just going to make them absolutely desperate to have this great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that that's such a wonderful approach. And it makes me think about how like there's been, I feel like, a resurgence. Maybe resurgence isn't even the right word. Maybe it's just a surgence of um, like people being really into like more nurturing DS dynamics over the past few years. Um mm-hmm. Because I feel like people learned that, like, kink doesn't have to be mean. Um, And a lot of, like, what I feel is beneficial from kink in my own life is, like, feeling safe and feeling supported um, and having a place to play with things that that feels like a safe, trustworthy space with a safe, trustworthy person. Um, And I think that one thing that your audios do really well is, like, make the listener feel really safe and, like, calm, like... Um, this is kind of my problem with people who like jump right into the kinky stuff. Like, unless I'm like already super turned on, I'm just gonna, I'm going to be too tense and like freaked out and like, who the hell are you? Like, (laughs) so I really, I really like that. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I had said to you that I wanted to talk to you about gender dynamics in audio erotica. And what I actually was thinking about was, uh, I think it's an interesting space in terms of gender because it seems like it sort of subverts the typical like uh stereotypical sex work relationship where like a female provider and a male client it seems like there's a lot of female like clients or listeners in uh audio erotica and a lot of male creators um but when i mentioned that to you you said that there's also like a lot of misogyny in the field and a lot of like people being very demanding of artists and i was wondering if you could tell me more about that well, it's 
it really is. It's kind of an interesting dynamic because it's definitely it started out as something that was way more centered on the women who were the listeners mm-hmm. and kind of what they wanted to have produced. And I mean, you still see to the states like the people who are sort of the known quantities within the audio porn world. It's like the male creators are the famous stars. Mm-hmm. The female creators aren't as well known, but they take the brunt of the harassment. They take the brunt of, you know, guys coming on Reddit and being like, I've listened to one of your audios, so I feel like I am now owed pictures from you. (laughs) And the men absolutely deal with that too. Obviously, the men are not in the same position with women where they are, by nature, having to feel threatened and having to take ridiculous security measures. And it's not that, you know, there aren't men who get harassed and get creepy stalkers. It's just that it's a much smaller amount. Whereas the mm-hmm. the ones that get famous for the script writing are definitely the women because they're the ones that are sitting down and saying, you know, I'm producing all the content that I want to hear. I just need a guy to come in and record this for me. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it's one of those things that the dynamic has changed even just over the last year with the pande- pandemic where there are more guys coming in and doing it where they're jumping right in and a lot of the audio that's getting produced is based on scripts that are written by young women that they themselves don't know yet how important things like consent conversations are Mm -hmm. because they're still new to it as well. And so then we end up with this flood of content that is discussing these gender dynamics where it's definitely the idea of, you know, big burly strong men taking what they want from you Mm -hmm. but there isn't that backing of and we're doing this because women are also incredibly sexual beings and also like to play around with these dynamics but we also like to make sure everyone is safe and feels cared for both before and afterwards Mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting why do you think it is that women are I mean, I don't know if this is actually true statistically, but I have a perception that women are more often um, listeners of audio erotica than men are. Um, I'm just curious if you have thoughts on why that is. You know, I think, if anything, it's probably largely just a societal thing. Mm -hmm. And it's mainly because, you know, we're used to anything that is uh, sexually aimed content is going to be focused on men and aimed at men. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have this entire huge porn industry that is so focused on the male gaze and what men want to see and they want to get in and get out and get done. And audio porn started as this thing that was very niche and very for women because it was making the women at the center of it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same as, you know, we're starting to now get some really, really good porn companies that are producing video porn where the women are this at the center of it. It's about their experience and them being able to display something that they're enjoying. And now that's starting to get some traction. And I, I think, at least at the beginning, the audio porn was a lot like that. It was focusing on what the women want and what they need in order to have to have an experience where they feel like it's about them. Mm-hmm. And so definitely that shifted the, the gender dynamics a lot. But it also gave a lot of women, and obviously I can't speak for the women myself, but from what I've been told, it gave a lot of women this place where they felt like they could be very upfront sexual beings and discuss, here's what my kinks are, and 
whether it be, you know, I have rape fantasies because I have such a stressful day job that the idea of just giving someone else control for five seconds is amazing. Yeah. Or whether it be, you know, I just have these very specific things where I want to be made to feel really worshipped and special. This was a chance for them to do that and to be the driving force behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, I think that that's right. And like, I think a lot of the debate on this topic is just like an oversimplification that says that like men are more visual creatures and women are not. So of course they wouldn't be drawn to the more visual erotic mediums. Um, And I think it has a lot to do with what you were saying about like the male gaze in porn. And like when you've had enough negative experiences with visual porn, uh, you might be kind of like scared off it or like hesitant to try it again. Um, when it's made you feel turned mm. off or like, you know, you're judging your own body, looking at the bodies on screen or whatever. Um, and for me, as someone with like a lot of insecurities about my like appearance and stuff, it's nice to do the audio ones because I am not visible and like nobody's visible. Like it's, it's almost like the bodies are taken out of it in a way, which I find mm-hmm. oddly comforting sometimes. Yeah, because it gets to be your personal fantasy where you're imagining it all in your head and you know even with like traditional erotica they spend so much time describing the characters and mm-hmm. saying and you know and his hands look like this and her breasts look like this mm-hmm. and a lot of that is taken out of the especially the immersive audio porn because it's focused on this is what the feelings are this is what i'm doing to you mm-hmm. even then there, there are still some problems you know we're, we're a lot of the creators now we're starting to work on things like making sure that our terminology is inclusive Mm. because you know there's a lot of it where it talks about and i'm just going to pick you up and throw you around and then there are women listening who are thinking well i have a fuller figure and i haven't come across a guy a guy yet who could just pick me up and throw me around so that that takes me at the moment right even right down to there was a comment i saw recently that that just really hit a chord for me which was someone who is a person of color saying when you are writing this stuff and then performing this stuff and you say things like i really like when i see you blush as -hmm. someone who has a much darker skin tone for whom a blush isn't visible i find that problematic that takes me out of the moment Mm -hmm. wow yeah that's really interesting even then it's it's finding a way to make sure that everyone has that inclusivity yeah it reminds me of conversations i've had with my co-host on this show bex who um like understands and appreciates the appeal of audio erotica, but has never really enjoyed it himself. And he said that a large part of that is he feels sort of alienated from the person being described. Uh, like he, he's like, you don't know me. Like that's not who, you know, what I'm like or what I look like or who I am. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what have you, what else have you done to like try to make your audios more, you know, generally inclusive of different kinds of people? Well, a lot of it is just talking to people. So, you know, one of the things I mentioned is the fan engagement stuff. And I actually had a conversation with someone on Twitter recently who posted saying, you know, I struggle when people talk about, I'm going to lift you up in the, in the audio logical because I'm definitely not the size that a lot of men can find it easy to lift me up. Mm-hmm. And I said, just out of curiosity, you know, there are some of us out there who part of why we work out and lift 
lift heavy weights is because we like women who are more collegiate <laughs> and we like being able to pick them up and throw them around. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that I could describe that in the audio and make that something that's not going to pull you out of it? And just having her say, you know what, I don't know yet, but let me think about it. Even out with that really simple things like I make a point of I'll describe someone's hair, but I don't say I'm running my fingers through your hair because I don't know what kind of hair they have. Right. I'll just say I like stroking my hand over you. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say things like I like your big blue eyes. I'll just say your eyes are amazing. Or you know, I just really love how soft your skin is on your thighs. Just simple things like that where I am bringing in the idea that we are having this physical contact without describing that particular body part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I definitely find that very helpful when I'm listening to audios as well because like uh, – you know, the more tiny roadblocks there are on the way to arousal, the harder it is to get aroused. Um, and those things, you know, even if they're not actively like triggering or whatever, they can still, you know, take you out of the moment. And that's really not the intention. So that's nice to know that people are working on that. Yeah. And it definitely seems like most of the people producing it is something they're actively working on right now. Mm-hmm. But like anything, it's a lesson we've had to learn and it has been learning for. And, and it's just been that thing of when people give you that feedback and say, hey, this is why that one thing was a problem for me. Listening to it and saying, awesome, thank you. How can I do better next time? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, we've had a lot of people on this show who do various things with their voice, like uh, phone sex and erotic hypnosis and that kind of thing. And I always like to ask them like how they cultivate or think about uh, their sexy voice. Um, is that something that you were conscious of or was that sort of, did that come naturally to you? You know, honestly, it, it was kind of a weird journey and, and part of it was I read books to people out loud a lot. Ooh. And especially when I'm reading at nighttime, like if I'm reading to someone when we're going to sleep, and I'm like, okay, we're just going to knock out a chapter of this book that we're reading to each other. I have had the problem repeatedly that they will fall asleep. <laughs> and I would just get told over and over again, your voice is just so soothing. And you just sit down and read and your voice gets like a little bit husky and just kind of quiet and, <laughs> and it's just so soothing. And I'd had one or two people say, it is a very sexy voice. You have to break it up, otherwise it's too soothing. <laughs> and so it was definitely... I was aware of when I got into it because I have, you know, my one weird superpower is making women fall asleep whether they want to or not. <laughs> I mean, that makes and me so think I you'd be good at hypnosis, though. I don't know. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> but it, it was one of the things when I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, well, what can I do to get myself into that place where I've got that voice that people find soothing and trustworthy and sexy? without just completely knocking them out Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the time what I do is before I start recording I'll have a beer and I'll just read a book out loud to myself for like 10 minutes to kind of get myself in that place Mm -hmm. and then as I'm recording I will make sure that I'm leaving lots of pauses that are the kind of pause where if I was actually having this conversation with the person who's listening that's the pause for them to respond Mm-hmm. And it also conveniently functions as a pause for their brain to kind of click back and re-engage so that they don't just fall asleep. Yeah. 
That's so funny. Yeah. Because when I think about it, the voice that someone puts on when they're like very close to your ear and you're having a sexy moment, um, sort of intimate or growly or whatever it is, that would, I guess, potentially be really soothing um, coming from, you know, someone who you're not actively in that situation with. Um, And yeah, that's one thing I really like about your audios is I feel like there's a great sense of intimacy like this is the first time that we've ever spoken but I feel like we've spoken before because the way that you talk in those recordings is just so like I wouldn't say friendly is the right word (laughs) it's just like you sound like you know the person that you're talking to um which I find very nice um and yeah I think you have a great voice thanks for coming on my my audio podcast (laughs) well you know I'm I'm always going to support anyone who has a podcast about vaguely kinky. <laughs> good, good. Uh, there's a lot of great kink podcasts out there, as I'm sure you know. Um, this is a weird question. Uh, I was researching you a little bit, and I saw that you have an interest in like old-timey clothing and historical reenactment. And I was really curious if that in- ever mm-hmm. like interacts with your kink life in any way. Sometimes. Um my main focus is I do a lot of medieval reenactment. Mm-hmm. And for me, the stuff I focus on is, is very specific to the Viking settling in Scotland. So the very early Viking settlers in Scotland. So it's like this really niche thing. And I will not lie, I absolutely have, you know, fantasies in my head about, you know, the Viking raider having his way with the slave girl. <laughs> but the thing that I have actually had as engagement throughout my kink life is just generally the idea of like old fashioned men and pretty young ladies. And so like a lot of Victorian kink stuff, Regency kink stuff, where it's all about, you know, getting the wool and the tweed on there, writing letters to each other that are like, you know, not necessarily discussing anything explicit, but skirting around that issue and making the intentions very clear. <laughs> you know, it's same as with audio stuff, the written word, you can really go a long way to get someone excited yeah. just by using very delicate terms to mention what you would like to do. And so I've definitely had a lot of playing with that. And people seem to really like it, especially when I get into the full Regency costume. <laughs> and you know, like I'm a huge Pride and Prejudice fan, and I know a lot. Of them. I just love the idea of someone being like dressed up like Mister Darcy and having those kind of like stayed, closed off, manly man Regency manners, mm. and knowing that beneath it all, there's someone that is just desperate to fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so hot. I agree. That is excellent. Uh, but that makes me wonder, like. Uh, there's a lot of debates about uh, is chivalry dead? Uh, what with feminism and whatnot? Uh, what do you think? Is chivalry dead? Is there still a place for old-fashioned chivalry nowadays? You know, that's you're picking the wrong person to discuss <laughs> that with because if you look at the actual ideals of chivalry during the, you know, the golden chivalric age, the actual ideals of chivalry are not what we think they are today. So one classic example is there was a guy who was thought of as like the foremost knight of his time. He was the most chivalrous person there could be. And he was taking part in this group battle at a tournament. There was you know, three or four different groups who were all going to be battling each other. And then whichever group came out on top, they were the winners, they were the most chivalrous. 
And so what he did was took his group off and hid in the woods. And when everyone else had beat the shit out of each other and was half dead, then they came out fresh and killed everyone, and then they won. And everyone was ah, you're the most chivalrous. Look how great that was. <laughs> the ideals that we have of what chivalry is, is the very Victorian idea. Mm-hmm. And it's all about having, you know, good, upstanding morals and being kind to everyone around you. And I don't think that that is necessarily gendered, you know. I can be chivalrous by saying, hey, I'm going to open the door for someone. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a male or a female I'm opening the door for. Mm-hmm. Likewise, I can be kind to a human being regardless of what their gender is. And they can be kind to me too regardless of what my gender is. And that can be a chivalric act. No, I will admit I'm the kind of person that, like, if I'm taking someone out on a date, I would like to pay, at least for the first date. But mm-hmm. I also follow the rule that whoever's the one that is asking for the date, that's the one that generally pays, or you split it. Right. Never make that assumption that this person, because of their gender or because of their part in a DS dynamic or whatever, they're going to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. So much history of chivalry. Yeah, I think I always think it's interesting to discuss uh, chivalry, like particularly with queer and trans folks, because uh, it's one of those things that's like so archaic and yet so hot in its own way. (laughs) Like it can just be like subverted and perverted um, in really fun ways. Like I... I really like it when like butch women like open doors for me and stuff like that, which feels very much like sort of some kind of gender drag. Uh, But I like it when we're both into it. Like it feels, I think, very affirming for me and like some of the people who've done that for me. So it's like, it's kind of a double-edged sword, that concept. Yeah. And I think it comes back again to sort of playing with the gender dynamics and seizing it as saying we traditionally think, you know, men are in control and we can find it kind of sexy to be like I'm handing over this control to this man but it doesn't necessarily have to be just about because he's big and strong and can beat the crap out of you Mm -hmm. it can be because he's going to take care of you he's going to fulfill your needs for you Mm -hmm. and that leaves him with just as little power as you in this because if he doesn't fulfill your needs yeah he might be this big manly man but he doesn't get the bragging privileges that he got you off and you were just you know in a puddle on the ground for him afterwards (laughs) yeah Um, I have some questions from listeners. I put a call out on Instagram and asked if folks had any questions for someone who makes sexy audios. Um, I thought this one was interesting. I've definitely run into this problem hosting a podcast and editing it myself. Um, Do you ever cringe at the sound of your own voice? And if so, how do you get over that? Absolutely every time. And I haven't (laughs) found a way to get over it yet. Yeah. Oh, every time that I sit down and do editing, I think of like, you know, the male friends I have who have like that really deep, rich, chocolatey baritone voice and just think, <laughs> don't fucking sound like that. <laughs> and I I just generally, I try and remind myself that it's, it's like any other body image issue. And were any of my friends, I would never be that hard on them. Mm-hmm. I, I very much agree. I think it is very similar to a body image issue in that 
we're kind of, I mean, if you're someone who's like generally insecure and even if you're not because of the culture that we're raised in, like there is a tendency to judge yourself even for things that like other people can find super attractive. So yeah, I mean, the the thing I always say to myself is like, just because I'm not my favorite like ice cream flavor or whatever, like someone else could be very into that flavor and that's fine. Like I don't need to judge myself or people who are into it. It's just, you know, different strokes for different folks. Absolutely. And I mean, it makes me think of, have you heard uh, Rachel Lark's song, I Want to Lose Five Pounds? Oh, I love Rachel Lark, but I, I don't know if I've heard that specific one. It's a fantastic song. And like the, the first like verse of it is basically, all the other women should love their bodies, but I want to lose five pounds. <laughs> that's so and real. that's basically the whole song about how everyone else should be proud of themselves and everyone is beautiful and unique and wonderful. I just, I want to lose this five pounds and it's not for a guy and it's not because of misogyny. You know, I, I kind of, I reflect on that a lot. Like all the things I would like to change about myself, even when I have someone saying, no, I think that thing about you is sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that makes me want to ask, and maybe this is too personal, in which case feel free to not answer, but like uh, has doing this work in audio erotica like, uh, improved your self-esteem or made you feel better about yourself because you're hearing from people who are into what you're doing? It has, but not in the way you might expect. Okay. Um, I've definitely, I've, I've had some really awesome engagement from people both on the side of giving me advice for things that I might want to change or rethink and how I present it. And also people just being like, oh, you know, fuck, that was really hot. Like, I wish <laughs> you were here right now. But the thing that really got me was the feedback I got from people who were just saying things like I really love the way you presented that as something new. You've obviously really thought about how she would like to have that done. And it boosted my self-confidence in as much as helping me remember that there are worthwhile things about me as a person, as a lover. There are things that I can do and do well. And it wasn't necessarily related to how sexy is your voice or, you know, how many muscles do you have? It was really focused more on, like, the the psychological side of it and the personality side of it. And that that was really nice. It was kind of a surprise. Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah, I mean, your audios are great. You should be super proud of them. Um, A a listener question we got was... um, I know that some people uh, who do these like work from a script and keep it very word perfect and some people use an outline and some people straight up just improvise. Uh, I'm wondering like, is there an approach that you tend to use and like, yeah, how do you like to do yours? Generally, I I find it hard to work from a script, especially if it's someone else's script. Because then it doesn't feel natural to me. Like I, I find myself reading and thinking I would never phrase it that way. I would never do those things in that particular order because that's just not me. Mm-hmm. And so if I record that and then listen back, I can hear the ways in which it does sound stilted. Mm-hmm. But I also am enough of a perfectionist that if I tried to just record completely off the bat with no planning, I know that I would be stumbling over my words and I would just have way too much fucking editing to do <laughs> so i usually kind of run a middle path where i'll play it all out in my head and i'll figure out okay how would i like this to go 
what pieces do I want to make sure are in there? And once I've kind of got it built up in my head, I'll sit down at the computer and then just record it all in one go. Wow. That's amazing. I feel like if I was doing them, I would have to do everything in little segments because I would just like mess up constantly, I feel like. But I guess you get better at it after you've been doing it for a while. Um, but that makes me want to ask you about dirty talk, actually, because like one of the questions we get a lot is about dirty talk. People are very confused about how to do it. Um, and I, whenever we have someone on who's like really good at dirty talk, I like to ask them if they have any tips for doing it better. You know, I actually, I think back to one of the best tips I've heard was, was Dan Savage talking about dirty talk. And he just said, you know, you do dirty talk the same way you do consent as you present it as something that's a bonus. <laughs> and, you know, like if you want to kiss someone, you don't just grab them and kiss them because you don't have consent. But you also don't sit there and, you know, stumble and say, well, would it be okay if I did this? You know, you lean in and you breathe in your ear or breathe in there and you say, like, I really want to fucking kiss you right now. And mm -hmm. just that one little switch where you're presenting it as this positive thing and you're presenting it with that little bit of confidence, it changes everything. Yeah. You know, as soon as you say something with that confidence, you could be saying fucking anything and someone's going to be like, I like the sound of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I also love that piece of Dan Savage wisdom. I think that that legit changed my life. Um because I like I always think of that when people say consent and asking for consent can't be sexy because I think there is something so inherently sexy for most people about hearing that someone wants you or wants to do certain things with you, uh, you know, in the right context, obviously. Um, and I really like that that particular way of doing it doesn't put pressure on them at all. Like I think people sometimes think that asking for consent is like, can I kiss you? And in certain situations, that can be a little awkward if the answer is no. Like, there's not always like a way to get out of that and feel like you're still being polite uh, to the other person. And so I feel like if someone says to me, like, I really want to kiss you right now and I don't want to kiss them, it's much easier for me to just like, I don't know, say, ha, ah, that's funny and like change the subject or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, rejection especially women having to reject men is just such a terrifying fucking minefield in general so mm -hmm. yep um was there anything about any of what we talked about today that you would like to expand upon or did i miss anything that you're really wanting to talk about you know not necessarily um the one thing i would say and it comes to mind mainly because of uh a couple of conversations I've been having with people just over the last few days here um, where the idea came up of being a dom who is like planning things and taking care of and someone who was like, man, I didn't realize doms did so much work. And yeah. I kind of responded and I was like, well, if they're a good dom, and yeah. so I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, like, if you don't have an Excel spreadsheet on your computer, <laughs> you have notes on it of, like, this is the times of day where they're available that I can send them filthy messages and they'll <laughs> be able to, like, see it and have fun versus the days where I know they're, like, visiting their mother's church ladies or picking the kid up from daycare, you know? Just little things like that that make a really big difference. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, for me, it's, like, basically, it's, it's part of the consent it's like especially 
if you're not physically present at the time, which mm-hmm. a lot of people right now they're having to learn how to deal with this stuff virtually. Mm-hmm. It's all about showing that basic respect and putting the time and the work in to make sure that they're getting to have that experience without it fucking up their whole day because there wasn't a good way for you to say, how many Zoom meetings are you in today and at what time so that I can send you a message and you can get off? Mm-hmm. And it, it really started a bigger conversation for me that I've kind of started doing a series of tweets about, which is just like what it is to be a good dom and what someone should be looking for as far as what's a good dom. And it's about the safety side of things, how to recognise that someone is not, you know, flying a bunch of red flags that you just don't know how to recognise. Mm-hmm. But also just kind of about finding someone who is showing you that respect and care and consideration. I know that that's something for some people a big problem in the audio porn world is trying to find audio, especially if they're still just learning their kinks. Mm-hmm. where they are also learning what is safe to be into versus what is a red flag that further down the line you're you know mm-hmm. you're not gonna get that consent expected. And so that's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately and something that I would recommend anyone that is hearing this podcast and that is still really learning about their kinks. It's okay to be choosy. It's okay to listen to something and just feel uncomfortable about it. And it's okay to start Google yeah i i love that and i think uh one of the things that you mentioned there that i really agree with is like the usage of technology as a dominant and how helpful it can be um i think a lot of people who are new to dominance are like overwhelmed by all the work that can be involved in it um, and technology can really help you out. Like my friend Bex talks about this. He has ADHD, so he's like prone to forgetting things. Um, and he'll, you know, make notes of everything. And like my partner keeps notes that have like lists of my limits and lists of like my clothing sizes in case they want to buy me stuff and like all this kind of stuff that they would need like as my dominant. Um, and yeah, it's super helpful. And it's also like really hot and sweet when someone like puts that much effort into doming you well like it makes me feel very like held and taken care of and cared about and just really really good stuff and that's kind of how it should be yeah you know if you expect someone to let you leave welts all over them with your belt <laughs> it's reasonable but you should also make sure that you're not screwing up their day yep yep Okay, uh, I think that's everything. Um, before we go, would you please let everybody know where they can find your excellent audios and also where they can find you on social media or just on the internet? So on Twitter, it is Bearded Audio, or you can just, on Twitter, you can use the search function and search for Bearded Scotsman Audio. On Patreon, it's patreon.com slash Bearded Scotsman Audio. And then my email address is just Bearded audio at yahoo.com uh, thoroughly welcome emails from people with suggestions things like this just tick all of those boxes exactly what they're looking for <laughs> that's awesome um 
my stuff. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. I write a sex blog at girlyjuice.net and a newsletter at katesloan.substack.com. This podcast is The Dildorks. Uh, we're on iTunes and Spotify and all the places, and you can rate and review us, and we would really love that. And we're also on Patreon, where you can throw some money at us so we can keep doing what we're doing. That's patreon.com slash the dildorks. Um, thank you so much to Protodome, who did our theme song. Thank you to Amy, who did our logo. Thank you to my wonderful guest, the Bearded Scotsman. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. I was going to tell a personal anecdote here, but then I was like, oh no, the person who it's about might actually hear this. So I will not. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> It was, and thanks for having me on. I've been reading your articles for some time, and when I got that message from you, I was I was genuinely starstruck. I was like, "Holy shit!" I immediately like tweeted my best friend. I was like, "Oh my god!" We'll